Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This episode I sit down with Carl. We talk about what Carl sees uh, people doing wrong out there in the archery world. He's a competitive archer and so he pays more attention to the finer details and uh, I pick his brain all the time when we're on the line shooting and uh, just really get a lot of good information from guys like Carl. And so he comes on the show, talks about some common mistakes, uh, things that to look for in your shooting process and uh, just really just a good conversation about archery and, and how to improve. Uh, before we start the show, though, just wanted to remind everybody that we do have a uh, mailing list that's going to go active here in summer, and really excited about it. But if you haven't signed up for it, you can do so at www.onpointpodcast.com, and then there should be an automatic uh, pop-up thing that says if you want to, you know, ask you if you want to sign up, or there's a tab on the right that says sign up. Uh, it's not going to be a bunch of spam, you know. It's maybe one email a month. And, uh, you know, for folks that want to get more in-depth, uh, good offers on, on equipment that I'm using or believe in, and then uh, keep updated with the content that's coming out, it's going to be a good resource for you. So check that out. And uh, it's been also a while since I've reminded folks that, you know, the iTunes reviews, uh, somehow in the algorithm uh, world of iTunes and stuff, I'm sure reviews play a role, and so if you have time to go leave a five-star review, if you th- if you feel that I've earned it, uh, be happy to have that. Uh, comments are always welcome, so I can see what you like, what you didn't like, and uh, really help me grow from there. But uh, that's all I got, guys. So we'll see you on the next one. Bye. <laughs> well, I'm gonna turn mine down just a little bit more. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Carl. Thanks for coming back, man. No problem, Gary. <laughs> so we actually got quite a few um, compliments from our last episode. Um, God, I'm drawing to my mom like, what was? Oh yeah, uh, better archery through aggressive spending, and, and uh, yep, yep. guys absolutely love that quote. <laughs> I've used it for years. <laughs> um, not only is it a, a philosophy, it's a catchy title. Right, right. But uh, so we're gonna kind of go back over things today you've you've still been shooting you went to reading and everything had a good time over at reading oh yeah um and i was kind of just getting actually got quite a few questions the last couple weeks guys struggling with their setup struggling with the tune and then also struggling with their shop process mm-hmm. and so i'm like okay well that'd be kind of cool to get carl back on here and then he can talk about some of the things that he sees um instead of just having guys you know listen to me all episode and uh just, I'm always down to learn from you, man. I've I've learned a ton from you just shooting with you, you know, having you um, just kind of point things out or pick your brain as I as I struggle with with maybe a particular thing one day, right. or why, you know, why in the heck am I doing this when I'm doing this kind of thing? Sure. So um, it's going to be a good episode. I'm excited to hear some of the things that you say. So sounds good. Um, so how did Reading go for you? Oh man, Reading was rough this year. I went down there <laughs> feeling pretty comp. Well, on Tuesday before we left, I felt really confident shooting lots of good arrows. And then mm-hmm. Wednesday, I took the day off work, wanted to go out and get just one more last little good practice session in, make sure my marks were dialed in as good as they could be. And well, let's just say after six hours out at the range, my marks were not where they were on <laughs> Tuesday, and I do not know what changed. I have slammed my head against the wall trying to figure it out. That's I do not cool. know still. Um, how big of a of, of an elevation change is it over there in humidity and, and climate? Uh, I would say the heat was a little bit higher. We didn't have the wind down there that we've had here in the valley lately, which... Hmm. 
and uh, I don't know. I know do know guys come to Reading with a certain set of marks that's only for Reading compared to where they come from, really from around the world. That's that actually that kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're if you're competing at that level, and you're gonna be shooting there for that many days, and you know that you're gonna be changing, why not have your own? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've had multiple, and I've had, I still have multiple um, spot hog sites with dovetails that um, you know, I've got them loaned out to friends right now so they can try them out, but um, different arrow setups. So I don't have to change, even though it's just a lot of times it's just a sight tape. Right. Um, but maybe I just want to just shoot that arrow for a day and then shoot that arrow directly over and not have to reset in at all. And you know, and I don't change stuff. Once I get something I really like, I just stick with it. And so it would probably benefit me to put a sight tape on there so I could just adjust the arrow on the side of my sight just a little mm. bit to bring it back in play. Cause mm -hmm. like Thursday at Reading, we shot the Pro-Am and I shot pretty well. And then Thursday morning happened. My first target, I was about four yards low. Really? Off my sight marks. And I never could catch up. I lost 19 points on Friday just because of low, 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 low. Really? Oh, it was terrible, terrible. And did you ever kind of figure out what was going on there? Just uh, kept adding yards to it until really? it finally got somewhere middle-ish. <laughs> yeah. And then luckily my buddy invited me over to his house th or Friday night. So went over there and shot two new good sight marks and... Saturday was better, still not ideal. Sunday was a little bit better, still not ideal, but yeah. always learning. Were you holding good and everything? Oh, shooting good, executing good shots. Yeah. I didn't execute any bad shots. Hmm. You know, that, that can be really frustrating when you're doing that, but for me, I was shooting over at the coast, was it, uh, I think it was last year, and um, <laughs> I, I kind of was joking around. It sounded kind of douchey when I said it, but I was I was actually serious. I'm like, I'm shooting great, but something about my setup's off today. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, I'm shooting great. And guys are like, kind of like, well, that's kind of doesn't make sense. Like, you're not shooting a very good score today, but you're shooting great, but the bow's not. I'm like, actually, yeah, as, as stupid as that sounds, I feel great about the uh, execution of the shots I'm making today. Totally. Left totally happy, shot the worst score I ever shot. But as a shot executioner, uh, I felt good that day, you know, so that's kind of kind of like what you had going on. You know, I shot three days. I didn't punch any arrows. I didn't shoot any <laughs> arrows that weren't, the pin wasn't in the dot. How'd you do on the 100-yard one or the Bigfoot? Well, back to my sight mark issue. So <laughs> oh, I went out to my buddy's house, and he could only get like 60-plus yards at his house. Uh -huh. Well, 60 and 100 is a long difference. <laughs> right. And so, you know, my first arrow broke really well, and my spotter says, no, but it's down by the 10 line. And I'm like, oh, no. So I look at it, and oh, sure enough, it's outside the 10 line which really? is something i absolutely despise doing but it <laughs> happens and so i added a yard and a half to it because at that range you know just swagging mm -hmm. and uh, my second arrow broke good and just under the dot so that's frustrating next year next year, next year. <laughs> and then uh your wife tia mm -hmm. she she did a personal best over there too. She did a personal best, improved by twenty three or twenty eight points. Which That's is, killer. It's been fun watching her grow as an archer. Oh, well, it's and been just, awesome. Yeah, you know, back when she started, and then she was shooting. Now you know why she was shooting, but now she was like shooting. What two sixties to two eighties at league? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's pretty solid from where she started. Like really solid from where she started. And then going to Vegas this year, last year, and she threw down a two ninety on the last day. Which really, was just awesome. that's killer. It was. It was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go over because um, 
you know, you you kind of went into some things there um, about going you know, out out the bottom of the targets, what they call that or, or whatever, and and um, I've already got some things on my agenda from from um, some of the listeners, kind sure. of just talking to me about stuff. So I guess let's let's start up with common um, mistakes that you see maybe uh, in before we even get to the shooter in in setups. Is there anything that you can find that? Um, or, or probably commonly see guys maybe not just doing it just right? Probably the biggest thing I see is just changing stuff all the time. You know, you got your perpetual tinkers, which I've been <laughs> notorious one in the past. You know, <laughs> that's a whole better archery through aggressive spinning. If it ain't working, spend money. <laughs> Try to fix it. But when you do find something that works, right. just sit on it because it's working. And you get automatic confidence in that. Once you have confidence in something, it's only going to help your shooting. Right. Well, for like uh, for something that I had the other day, um, I had a buddy that was messaging me, and um, he probably probably listened to this. So shout out to Jimmy. But um, he was messaging me. He's like, I can't get my sight to basically dial down. Like I can't. It was a it was a slider sight, mm-hmm. and he just couldn't get it to. Um, adjust down far enough. He couldn't get it. You know, he passed 30 yards or something like that. I'm like, okay. At the highest setting. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm like, all right. So I'm kind of going over some stuff with them and, and, um, you know, um, is your rest, you know, peep height, you know, how are you anchoring as I think is how I asked it, you know, are you finding your peep? Okay. Kind of thing. And, and kind of went through this whole thing. And so he was just maxing out his site. He had, he had maxed out his site, just trying to get 30 yards. And, and I was telling him, I'm like, Typically, when you're maxing things out, something's out of whack. Absolutely. Um, very, you know, I'd say more commonly with probably the bow than the shooter at that point when you're maxing things out because the shooter can, I mean, if they're anchoring properly and everything, it's probably something with uh, the bow or the, the right. setup. And long story short, it was uh, ended up being peep height. He was, he didn't, he wasn't paying attention, I guess, and, and was just anchoring really funny. So I guess what are some other things um, that um, – because I see peep selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I str- I kind of struggle in my own head with that because in your mind, you shoot indoor and outdoor. Um, you've shot in the rain, probably in the snow. Oh, yeah. Um, and so the effects of the light on the peep, would you talk about that and then also how to get around that? Mm, boy, that's kind of a tough one because – what you end up doing is you have to find the happy medium. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to change your peep sight on every single target, every single situation, you know. Right. So you got to find a good balance. And what I like to do is, you know, as the sun comes out, your pupil dilates. And so all of a sudden your peep sight looks really big around your scope housing. Mm-hmm. And so to offset that, you go to a smaller peep. Well, then you get in the dark trees or the timber, and then your eyeball gets bigger. Your peeps now ultra small and mm-hmm. you can't you know, barely see your pins in your scope right. housing <laughs> so when i set mine up you know i initially set my peep height for what's natural at about 50 yards because that's the middle of my sight rack mm-hmm. and then from there i'll put my scope or i guess just my dovetail somewhere middle of the rack because that's where i like to run it Mm-hmm. And then I'll adjust my peep size until it just gives me a halo of light around it in normal daylight. That way, when I go into the trees, I still got my full scope inside the peep. 
and indoors it still doesn't lead out on me. Okay. So are there certain um, peeps or site housings that would allow a guy to um, maybe kind of get more of those adjustments uh, of lighting? Because uh, I know the MRTs on the Spot Hogs, um, they've got the multi-ring ones. And right, right. I use the crap out of those now. I think that's one. Of the, I personally think that's one of the best site, the best site ring they've ever came out with um, just because it takes an account for you know and the first time i shot hoodoo i'm like what the heck is going on here because i had the sticker right right um and this new mrt has multiple rings are there other other peeps or other um things mm. that you can think of that are out there like that boy there it's not that i know of. i think spot hogs got the market cornered on the mrt deal mm. and uh very good deal i spoke with the guys at spot hog and i've thought about running it but you know the one thing I don't like is it's for a big scope housing, mm. like engine five eighths, engine three quarters, and I run a far smaller one than that for mm -hmm. what I do. Mm -hmm. So I personally cannot, nor can Tia, because of her draw weight. If we go to a big scope, then she loses out on some of her long long marks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you didn't get arrow clearance issues. Yeah, yep. So it's all part of the balance. <laughs> So a smaller peep, uh, why is it that archers that are competitive shooters go with a smaller peep rather than a hunting size peep? Mm, usually it's because it will clear up a lens better. Oh, really? A smaller peep will clear up a four at least, maybe a six power depending on your eyes. and uh, Or you can go to a larger peep and run a clarifier. A lot of guys don't like running clarifiers because it gets grit and water in it and stuff like that. And then you're kind of up a creek. Really? Well, that makes sense. I mean, imagine if you're hunting over at the coast. Or oh, man. Lacey's or blacktail. Yeah. I've been talking about getting my dad one because his eyes are pretty bad nowadays. And when he's wearing his glasses, they fog up on him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe maybe a clarifier would be the – I mean, I'm not sure if you can hunt with a clarifier. Oh, sure. You can you? Because it's not a magnifier. Nope. Um, and I'm like, man, you know, that might be your ticket. Although we would have to make sure it's like hunting with a muzzler. You have to protect that. Oh, yeah. From the weather. Is he having trouble seeing the target or his pins? He, he has a hard time focusing on either. Um, on either. Um, this, his pins are getting pretty blurry when he's focusing on the target. Because then you'd want to run a verifier. A verifier. Which is a negative power rather than a positive power. Well, well I didn't even know that. So go over that for me so I can learn from either Ooh, right there real quick. I'm not real <laughs> big on verifiers. Luckily, I'm getting upper middle age and my eyesight's still fine, <laughs> so I don't have to. Yeah. I have to run a have to a one power clarifier to clear up my five and six power scopes mm -hmm. if i go to a four then i can get away with a small peep um but talking to a few guys in the industry when your eyes start to get to the point where you can focus on the target but not your your pins just blur out on you mm -hmm. you can go to a verifier and it's kind of the opposite effect where it will clear up the pins oh i and see shouldn't affect to target so in lamer terms one would be for short-sighted one would be for far-sighted kind possibly of thing. kind of kind of thing that makes sense i i see a lot of target guys using the smaller ones and, and with the smaller housings and everything and i'm like wondering like is that smaller housing does that just help you focus on target more does that kind of eliminate all the things around the target because mm -hmm. um, i was thinking um that there's got to be a reason I mean, if it did, wasn't giving a benefit outside of um 
whatever thing. There has to be a direct benefit to accuracy, or absolutely, else, you know, all these guys wouldn't be using them and I, stuff. I guess a small peep allows you to aim small, miss small. Yeah. But then again, it the trade off is darkness. Yeah. It doesn't let the light in, so that makes sense. And then I also want to talk about uh, for guys that like me. Um, I well, a lot of guys like me that they prefer just hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll shoot, 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 and then maybe you'll come into the shop and you'll shoot, and then you're shooting off. Right. Okay. And then they adjust, mm-hmm. and then they go back outside, and mm-hmm. now I'm left or right. or Oh, yeah. Exp- uh, you want to go through that real quick with me because that's a common thing that I see. Uh, it's common for indoor archery especially because we'll go from, you know, Waldron's to Bowtech to Cascadian uh-huh. to Archery World. All these different shops have different lighting situations where the light might be above the target, above the shooter, mm-hmm. in between, and it's just the effects of light getting into your eye and alignment. Yeah. I I've seen that and I've actually actually firsthand from the little bit of indoor that I've done, <laughs> just changing lanes. Oh yes. Um and I don't wanna I'm not a scientist or anything and I wanna go over my head here, but um I think the term is light refraction, but I'm I'm not. I believe you're correct. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that, but that you agree with me. But that's so I feel confident now that you agree with me. But so light refraction kind of I think maybe I like I'm not a scientist, but it basically changes the way that your, your eye perceives perceives and versus it's like shooting underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like bow fishing, so right. you got to aim under your target. Um, so I'm not saying you need to aim under your target and and indoor or anything. I'm just saying. It's kind of changing the perception. It's kind of changing where your arrow hits. And if you go back out to the daylight, that's a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see, I see guys do that all the time. They're, they're just, and I just leave it where it's at, man. I, I don't care enough to shoot indoor. I just leave it where it's at. Well, I mean, shoot with the sun <laughs> off your right shoulder and then go shoot the other way with the sun off your left shoulder and you'll see impacts. Really? Possibly. That's interesting. So for, how do you manage that? Mm. Sometimes I really don't, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I'm shooting indoors, I just adjust. Every time there's dials on the site, that's what you paid extra for. Yeah, yeah. Start clicking. So so if I am getting into a shoot-off, or you are getting into a shoot-off, you've made it, um, and then you are you had to change lanes, mm-hmm. uh, how's that work? Like, it, do you get a couple fresh arrows? To no, like... usually you don't. Usually well, you <laughs> might get a, you might get a warm-up end, but really? if not, you just got to hope for the best. That's crazy. That just seems weird to me. It's like, man, if I'm going to if I'm going to shoot for a ton of money, I'm going to shoot in that same lane. Don't fuck with my lane. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm shooting for a ton of money, I'm shooting at a place where the lighting is much more consistent. Okay. Also. Okay. I've always wondered about that. I'm like, man, how are these guys not hitting, you know, just left or right? And it's, does the light really play with left or right mostly? Or mostly, is it, yeah. it's not up and down? No, usually your elevation is pretty consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've noticed. Um, and I didn't, I know, you know, until I started shooting indoors with you and John and stuff, I'm like, whatever whatever yeah. and then it's a real thing yep go yeah. from lane two to seven yeah yeah i remember see. one of you guys was talking about like god oh, goddamn lane or something like that i'm like <laughs> what you're blaming lane Absolutely. and then after i shoot a little bit <laughs> yeah that's the lane <laughs> I, I try to minimize my excuses but oh for that's sure. always a good one <laughs> So let's get into. Um, is there anything else on the setup that you that you see before we move on here? Um, Boy, you know, 
it's so personal that just because I don't agree with maybe what you have in your setup, yeah, hey, it could very well if work it's for working you. for you, run it, yep, kind of thing. Uh, I will say that you know back to the principle where if if you're maxing shit out on your adjustments. Mm-hmm. Something is probably out of whack, and I've learned that a long time ago. You know, 99% of the time, I'll agree with that. One time, uh, you know, I'm not going to bag on any manufacturers because they put the R&D into it, but probably eight, nine years ago, I started shooting an Elite for the first time, and the risers on them were quite a bit thicker than what I had shot in the past, so I threw my spot hog side on there, and I started moving it to the left and moving it to the left and moving it to the left, and holy shit, it's still to the right of the pin. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to do some really weird stuff to get it really maxed out as far as I could to the left just to get the center shot in. I'm glad you brought that up because there's certain rests that I've used that will not work, especially mm-hmm. with the Hoyts. Um, the tech riser design. Yeah, and, yeah, they will not adjust far enough to the left to get you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a good point. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, with the sights, I haven't really, um, I've run across that with my with my rest, but I've never really run across that maxing it out with my sight. Actually, um, I, there's been plenty of times where I've had to use the L bracket, flip it around the other side on oh, the spot yeah. hogs, and then that pushes you like an extra eighth, or no, yeah, probably eight, a little bit over an eighth of an inch right? Um, to the left. And you, obviously, you're shaking, you've got to do oh, that too. I've had to do that too. <laughs> and it's solid. There's nothing wrong with it. Nope, that's what they, that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Uh, so I want to kind of get into if I'm a shooter, I'm I'm having troubles um, on, on the range, I guess, for lack of better terms. What would in in your there in your mind? What are some of the common things that I'd be struggling with? Mm, maybe footing position, you know, because you're never standing on flat concrete. It's always not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, boy troubles on the range Mm, if your strings haven't broke in yet or you got a bad set of strings where they might stretch on you a little bit of moisture Hmm. Mm, maybe your fall away rest isn't getting out of the way i've seen that quite a bit for for most of the guys that i see it's actually tuning issues out there Mm -hmm. um I, i take that back there's a lot of tuning issues out there for the for the most part it's actually more on the shooter i would say um and this is coming from a guy who just i just watch people shoot i just i'm always i'm always dissecting what i can get or learn but i'm always actually watching people shoot like doesn't matter if i know you're not if you're there i'm probably in not a weird creepy way i'm checking you out <laughs> <laughs> so if i'm ever at the range at you I'm watching. You. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how you learn. I mean, hey. I've shot with some of the best archers in the world. And, yeah. Oh, I watched them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe in a creepy way. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the hairs on the back of their neck are standing up. <laughs> Carl must be here. <laughs> uh, so I guess what I, where I'm going with that is some things that, that I see, and we've talked about this on the podcast, is the shot process is probably number one. Right. Um. I'm still uh, in the mindset that 98, 99% of hunters out there have a, a crap pr- shot process. If they even have one. If they even Legit. have one. Yeah. Um, like, what are some things that you look for in a shot process that helps you execute a good shot? Or if I'm out there and I'm just the regular 
run of the mill guy out there punching the trigger, have my you know pin on the um, on the target, and boom, there I go. Right. Uh, how what what would be some things that you would take me from there to get me a little closer to where I should be? Uh, first thing I would recommend is writing down your shot process. Write it down really? step by step from the time you step on the line, set your feet, you know, knock an arrow, mm-hmm. get your hand position in, release clicked on, every single step, and that way when you start to feel something breaking down. Mm-hmm. You go back over it word for word. And, okay, this is what I'm doing. Oh, I'm missing this step. Or I'm not paying enough really? attention to this step. I've never done that. That's a good – actually, that's a really good – actually, I've done that only because I had a year – probably two years ago, I had a guy say, what is your shot process? And I'm thinking, oh, that's a good question, man. You know, And uh, I'm like thinking about my shot process. I'm like, the hell is my shot process? Right. You just go through the motions. Just, yeah. But are you really going through the yep. motions? Yeah. And so I went out. To, I'm like, that's a great question. I'm going to go to the range. <laughs> and then I wrote it down. I was like, okay, what am I doing here? And then I kind of um, kind of bettered myself from writing my own process down. Because then I was like, I, I broke my, sh- my shooting process down, which allowed me, like you're saying, to know exactly when I was failing to meet that shot process. And I mean, personally, I don't have mine wrote down, mm-hmm. and I should because it's uh, yeah. awfully hypocritical of me yeah. to say, you should really do it when I don't have it myself. Well, I guess when you know it, you know it. But I also know that when mine breaks down, it's either going to be in my grip mm-hmm. or in my anchor all the way through the shot. Really? Mine would be different. Really? Why, why are yours the way that yours are? Yours are? Um, because I know if I don't get it, my bow and the same position in my hand every time because mm-hmm. I'm not preloading. Mm-hmm. And then when I come to anchor as I'm going through the shot, sometimes I'll come off my face just a little bit, and that's going to go left every time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I might pull down off my face a little bit and push it out the top. Mm-hmm. So so what do you – you said preloading. Mm-hmm. Talk about that real quick. Uh, you know, you load your arrow, you're in position, you're ready to fire the arrow, you click your release on the D-loop or string if you're still shooting off the string. Mm-hmm. And then you get your grip, you pull the bow back into your grip so you get it okay. right where you want it. Uh-huh. And then it shouldn't move from there. Then you go through your whole draw, anchor, fire. You don't preload? I preload, yes. Okay. I didn't know that was a term. I preload every shot. Right. Um, guys, I'll, you know, I, I kind of like, I'll put it like on my knee or my hip, my bottom cam. Yep. And then I'll, I'll just get a little bit of pressure on there. To where it feels right. Mm-hmm. It feels, you know, it's that very familiar spot. And then I'll shoot just like you said. And I never knew there was a, uh, actually a term for it. But you'll know, you'll see a lot of guys that rip the handle of their bow like it owes them money. <laughs> and then rip the bow in half and just yes. pound yes. it. And... Um, what uh, effects does grabbing the bow on the shot have or could it have on your shot? A huge amount of bow torque. Really? Because all you're doing is grabbing it and steering the riser whichever way you want. And... Mm-hmm. So you're putting more variables, I guess, into your shot. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I see guys do all the time. They're catching their bows. And I'm always wondering, I'm like, um, you know, that bow's leaving the string. But with the shorter brace heights that we're shooting today, I bet your reflexes are. I bet you, I bet you grabbing that bow is doing something. It's got to. It, and plus, you know, what you're doing is introducing tension into your shot because uh-huh. you've got all that tension in your forearm and your hand now. Mm-hmm. So it's never really wanting to settle. Mm-hmm. So with your grip, um, are you kind of 
angling your your wrist forward, or are you just letting the bow put the pressure and then wherever it sits back, like um, like you're making a stop with your hand? Well, remember the old, like twenty years ago, bows they had a much more high wrist angled grip, mm -hmm. which was much more natural. And then over the years, they've kind of went to a much flatter, I guess, upright grip. And I do not shoot that well with a low wrist really? because it wants me to really put some weird muscles into it. Mm -hmm. So on my bows, I went to a high demand archery adjustable grip so I can run a positive angle to it. And I'm really liking that. It allows me to be way more relaxed in the shot. Well, I noticed that the reckoning this year comes with a little comes with two grips. One's a little bit more angled for the high wrist, mm -hmm. and then one would kind of let you allow to really get that palm part of it in there, and then let it set against the um, the part of your hand that the bottom part of your hand, I guess, is what I guess is what it would be doing. Right. Um, for hand placement on the grip, would you go over your rules for finding a good grip? Um. Just the most consistent, relaxed, you know? Like, I used to be really steep, like mm -hmm. 45, 50 degrees on my knuckles mm -hmm. that I could see. Mm -hmm. And that was a tension inducer for me. Hmm. So I went to a little more flatter grip now where I can touch all my fingers to the front of the riser. Hmm. And it's just been quite a phenomenal change so this is one that you could find your own lane and kind of just run in it like you see a lot of guys with different hand positions Absolutely. different hand angles coming off the bow for me i have my um, index and my middle finger kind of usually laying on the edge of the riser on the front edge of the riser and then my um my ring and my pinky are kind of just dangling there because, I mean, for years, if you look, everybody says, you know, you want your knuckles at a 45-degree angle, and this yeah. is how you want to do it, and this is how it has to happen. And then I started watching people, mm -hmm. really paying attention to people's grips. And there's a lot of guys that are shooting a much more horizontal or vertical grip, I guess, than what I would have thought mm -hmm. to be ideal. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, well, I wonder what there is to this, because these guys are making money shooting bows, like right. a lot of money. Right. So they know something. And uh, I had to try it out myself, and sure enough, it was it was good. So I've always heard when you're when you're gripping your bow is that you have that line that kind of runs from your index finger down towards your wrist. It's it's I'm not sure it's like your main line mm -hmm. uh, crease in your hand. I've always heard you wanted to be on your thumb end of that. Right. Um, is there reasons in your mind why that is an archery principle? Oh. Uh, because it comes down kind of between two muscles, mm -hmm. and so it doesn't really want to torque it left or right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of putting it there in the middle of your hand. It's like a teeter-totter. You have way more tendons, and, and all yep. your all yep. your fingers go through that. And when I do use that, um, that principle, it just sits in the pocket better. There's a nice big pad on your palm. Absolutely. Um, and that's something that I don't really see that common um, – not used it seems like it's just that's just kind of the natural spot for folks um i don't i'm trying to think of a time where i've actually had to correct somebody that is that has asked me i'm not out there correcting people being a dick <laughs> <laughs> but you know when somebody's like hey you know what do you think and i've never really had to correct hand position that much no usually hand position i think is pretty self-explanatory if you're yeah. not gripping it like death grip and you're just relaxed your bow's gonna go where it really wants to yeah yeah that makes sense uh, so for that, um, I think we hit the hand position and the grip pretty well. What would be something else that you've seen out there that could people could really use some help with on the, on the archery line out there? Mm, probably making sure your peep height is 
pretty solid because it's going to affect your anchor mm -hmm. and that's kind of the second base of accurate shooting <laughs> right so for folks um out there that want to know if they have a good peep height mm -hmm. um things that i I'll, I'll give one thing that i would do and you can maybe build off of it is is um like especially when i'm setting up my own bows i draw and i anchor and I, I really focus on getting a good anchor, everything, shoulders, everything standing good. And then I open, I do it with all my eyes closed, and yep, then yep. I open them. Is that what you do? That's pretty much exactly what the same thing I do. Okay. Um, is there any other ways that you can really do it? I mean, that's to me, that's the best, most natural way to find out where your anchor's at. You know, and have a buddy there helping you that can mark your string or something. Because mm -hmm. they'll be standing right there with the Sharpie. Right. And okay that feels good right there and then sharpie mark okay maybe a little bit higher than that uh-huh yeah well and if you already do have your peep in there and it's not tied in yet your peep side's extremely easy when it's oh, at full yeah. draw so you're you're not having to fray your string or anything right um I, I i've done it myself personally and i've seen guys do it all the time they'll slide their peep up on their string when there's a lot of pressure on there oh yeah you're fraying your string when you do that um but and I am so guilty of that shit. I've done that so many times. I've been out there without a bow press and I'm just wedging that freaking string spreader out in there. And I'm oh, just I know that's the worst tool. You can put your pocket, <laughs> but I've got one too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like I'm not driving back to town. I'm doing this nope. right here. Butter knife, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think one time I used a dime. <laughs> And uh, that was just big enough for me to get my string spreader in there. But I it, eventually um, I got my <laughs> string spreader in there. But I used the dime because it was just a little narrower and right. it wasn't sharp. But my string didn't look good after that. Now they have to call somebody. Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. Yeah, hopefully if Austin's listening to that, it wasn't your string, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I kind of want to go over some more uh, more aspects of the shooting uh, of the of the shooter's process here uh punching the trigger would be obviously probably number one for me right um we we've kind of gone over this stuff in previous podcasts but is that something that you're seeing out there quite a bit is, is guys punching the trigger yeah i see a lot of guys that i've known for years love them to death and yeah they, a lot of times they don't even know they're doing it nope or they do know and just haven't it's a process if you want right. to stop punching the trigger you got to do go down the road right and, so what would be some steps for you to, to fix something like that? You know, I was a puncher for a long time because that's how we're all trained. You know? That's how, yeah, that's how I did it. You go to the bow shop, you load it up, you put the dot on it, and then you start squeezing the trigger. Uh -huh. And then that squeeze becomes not a squeeze down the road. <laughs> so right. I shot a finger trigger wrist strap release like most people did for years and years until i first got my first thumb button and then mm -hmm. i hammered that for a few years until <laughs> target panic just bit me bad and so then i bought a hinge release and really focused on learning how to use it and it probably took three months of really not shooting a target but just learning how to shoot the release before i was pretty confident in it the hinge yeah I felt like uh, the hinge for me was one of the best things I've ever personally done in archery. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't just a uh, – it, it actually got me on the next level of actual archery. And when you – when I personally used a hinge, it spilt over into using my wrist rocket. Mm -hmm. Just the the training that you're doing to your brain, the process that you're developing, it it's like spilling over in all the other areas of, of my shot process. 
aiming got better, yeah. way better. Um, target panic was pretty much eliminated. I'm not going to say that the release did it because a lot of it, um, the release helps. Yes. But you have to be conscious and, and aware and actually actively working on it to, to better it, yep. in my opinion. But um, that that hinge was, I'm not going to say a cure-all, but it was definitely, for me, a game-changer. Yep. And after I got what good with mine, or I don't want to say good, but after <laughs> I got confident shooting mine, yeah. now I could go back to a thumb button and execute it awesome compared to how I was doing it before, and it was mm -hmm. a total eye-opener. So I guess I'd be curious, because I've got some guys that are using hinges. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the challenges when you started using hinge? Because for me, it was anchor, and that was the biggest problem I had. Well, shooting a thumb button before, it uses, this, for me, the same anchor. I mean, the first mm -hmm. two knuckles on your first two fingers are at the crease of your jaw, mm -hmm. and it doesn't go anywhere. So the anchor stayed the same. It was figuring out the hand angle, and there's so much information and misinformation on the Internet mm -hmm. and videos. And, you know, back in the day, it was archery talk on the forum. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. There's so much bad information from yeah. just random dudes, and but you take it all in, right? And then you gotta try it out, and either it works or it don't. You gotta be quick enough to figure out what does and what don't. I would be curious to, see, to hear how you get your hand angle, because mm, I know the flatter I get it, the faster it's gonna go off, because I get maximum leverage on it, hmm. and. I don't know that I like that necessarily, but sometimes that's just where it ends up, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to maybe not shoot the arrow if it's holding good. Mm -hmm. But I just – it's critical to get pretty much consistent all the time. So I had some questions with um, handhelds and D-loops the other day. Um, I'll throw them your way. Is, is Does the type of hinge, um, the angle of the claw or the direction of the claw matter? I don't feel like it does. Mm -hmm. um, a guy I know did a YouTube video here. It's probably been a year ago now on hand angle relative to D-loop mm -hmm. because there was a big uh, kind of a discussion about torqueless D-loops versus standard D-loops. Mm -hmm. And uh, came to find out that for him at 100 yards, it really didn't make no difference. Really? Yeah. Now, I guess I'd be interested in hearing because I imagine in my head, and uh, I'm just asking this question for me personally. In my head, if you had a really short, wide D-loop, mm -hmm. and then you're cranking an angle on that, would that matter more than a torqueless or a longer D-loop that's narrower? Because to me... It, um, it makes sense in my head that it would affect it more. Yeah. I have not personally experimented with yeah. it. Yeah, neither have I. Maybe that's something for me to try and, and experiment with. But uh, I've that's been a, uh, a common... Um, thing with with those handhelds is like for, for guys that haven't used them they're like well i'm i'm twisting the shit out of my d loop that's got to be doing something with my string i'm like eh, i haven't seen it i haven't seen it either yeah uh but in my head it would make sense because you're inducing like just basically you're twisting that string kind right. of at an angle and then uh, it's going to throw the arrow just a yeah little bit yeah and... to me it makes sense but they also do make um handhelds and i don't know what they're called i'm sure you could probably think of the model i'm talking about here that have a uh, pivoting um, claw, mm -hmm. and so for guys that are worried about that, that eliminates it. It does, but it doesn't because the pivoting claw, uh -huh. usually it's either locked down or the pivot mechanism inside it isn't smooth enough to let it oh, really? naturally come to position. While it's at pressure? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. 
Uh, what one am I talking about there? Do you know what release that is? Mm, True Ball used to make one that was the... What model was it? I've got one at home, naturally. Um, <laughs> and you were supposed to lock it down, but if you left the screws just a little bit loose, it would pivot pivot naturally. That's cool. Kind of. <laughs> and uh, But that's really the only one I can think of. The rest of them are like, you can move them, but they have to be locked down. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, see, I haven't played with all those, all those handhelds like you have or anything, but uh so we've gone over kind of of the anchoring what if i'm having a hard time anchoring um and finding my anchor what could be some problems there mm, just not really focusing on it i guess i feel because i mean that's like the number one critical step in archery is having a consistent anchor right i i've seen guys um maybe draw links might add to it and do yeah. it um would a short or long draw length in your mind um, give you a certain type of misanchoring or tough time anchoring, or would there be any any way to identify if your draw is too long or too short? Well, if it's too long, you're going to obviously be behind your head, so your anchor is not even going to really be there. You're always going to be in the valley of the bow if you are pulling it back. Mm -hmm. Too short, you know, you depending on how much tension you've got in your front, your bow arm, mm -hmm. it could pull you off your anchor if you're not paying attention. Hmm. So too short, would the, um, would the string and the nose, would there be any signs right there? Mm, possibly if your nose isn't getting to your string, but then everybody's face is different. There's a lot of people that doesn't get the nose to the string like hmm. so heavily recommended. Really? And then you get your draw length to where your nose on the string you know everything feels natural and then you play with your d loop length to get to your anchor point mm -hmm. i've heard of guys doing that um there's a and i've also heard and i've heard it i forget where I, I picked this up from and to be able to actually describe it accurately is probably above me but uh so there's your draw length mm -hmm. and then there's and then that there's that and then there's your d loop length right and i've heard those are two different things absolutely would you mind covering that for me because i heard that once and it intrigued the hell out of me so i guess if you look at a picture of yourself sideways at full draw the knock of the arrow should be directly below your eyeball roughly mm -hmm. that's going to get your nose on the string everything lined up where it's supposed to be well then if your d loop's too short you might get into a high elbow situation mm -hmm. or where you can't really get back into your anchor then too long of a d loop would be opposite where you'd already be expanded all the way out so you've got nowhere to go it'd be hard to get back tension on there yes so you got to find your d loop length to get your anchor to your draw length that's interesting so i guess so your your d loop would be your anchoring position yes and your draw length would actually pretty much your draw length i mean but it would it would place the arrow where that arrow needs to be and then the d loop would place your anchoring hand where it needs to be correct and i've always heard that and it's really intrigued me and i haven't really actually played with the d loop lengths too much right hardly at all um i always try and keep mine really really short and neat right but um i remember when <laughs> when i i think it was the first year you and i shot or i shot league with you because you've been doing it way longer than i have obviously um your d loop because your bow wasn't 
I think it was maxed out or something. Yeah, it was too short, and yeah. I'd already twisted the cables and everything to get more jaw <laughs> length out of it, and it was still too short. Yeah. I didn't want to spend money on cams and strings right yeah. at the moment because I wasn't sure what I was going to do for the future, so long D-loop. Yeah, you had like a well, – it had to be two inches. Uh, it was an inch and a half. Inch solid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw that. I'm like, what in the hell is he doing? <laughs> but the arrows went in the middle it when worked. I did my shot. Yeah, it so. worked. <laughs> uh, I guess that's in, in its own way a torqueless D-loop, huh? <laughs> yeah, at that point, yeah. Um, so I've I've always wanted to ask you or John that. I'm like, that's really intriguing because I, I heard, um, was it Chris from Spot Hog was talking to John about that one day? Mm-hmm. Um, and then John was talking to me about it. I'm like, that's freaking cool. Like, I didn't think about that. And then imagine going from brand A to brand Y of bow, where yeah. 29 inches may not be 29 inches right. as far as specs go. Hmm. Because I went from, let's see, I started shooting Hoyt at 28 and a half. I finished at 29 and a quarter. Then I went to Matthews, and now I'm at 29 for my outdoor bow, 29 and a half for my indoor bow. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've, uh, I was talking to somebody, um, one of my buddies, uh, Mike Batiste, and, and I was talking about the Matthews running a little bit long. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been doing his, his bow reviews, his own bow reviews this year. And uh, I was talking to him about it. And he's like, actually, have you draw tested them this year? I'm like, I haven't had a chance to, to do any of that. And he's like, they're actually coming in pretty damn close this year. Nice. Uh, the ones that he's testing, the Traverse and all those. I still haven't got to shoot a Traverse. I've been wanting to, but I have not. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's a nice bow. I thought it was going to kick the ultra's butt this year. Uh, whether it has or hasn't, I haven't really been paying attention that much. But I'm like, that could be the death of the uh, Hoyt Ultra. Like, whatever whatever that may be for folks out there. But, you know, because if I shot both of them, I feel like I'd get way more performance out of the Traverse. Um, if I could get the Traverse with the Traverse backstop, back wall, um, and the Hoyt's jaw, that would be a great bow. Was the ultra <laughs> that good of a draw? I loved it. I mean, I've always I the Hoyt's always had a pretty damn good smooth draw. It never feels like you're pulling the actual poundage you are. I always feel like I'm pulling three or four pounds less than I really am with a Hoyt. With the Matthews bows, since the Halon, I feel like I'm pulling every pound and I'm earning it. You know, right? And uh, I just don't like the back walls on the Hoyts. They're they're always for me. They're always spongy. Mm-hmm. So. But um, that's that's a rabbit hole right there in itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so you kind of hit on it a second ago, and you were kind of talking about the bow arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to include the shoulder forward on that. So I'm talking about the actual arm and shoulder that are um, tut- that are being used on the bow, not on your anchoring right. arm. Um, what are some problems that you see with the bow arm? Because I hear you want to have it fully extended and arm. Um, and then 45 and then I'm like, you want to have it slightly relaxed on your elbow. And then there's so many things out there from a target archer. What have you found, um, to be the best principle for you? And what is, is there a general principle altogether for that? Uh, the generals that I can figure out is, you know, if your bow shoulder wants to creep up where it's not being down and relaxed when it creeps up, Mm -hmm. your pin's going to want to hold at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to get it up to the middle of the dot mm-hmm. just because everything just rides up and then your body compensates for yeah. it. So a relaxed shoulder is you know, almost mandatory. And then 
I guess in my bow arm, if you've got unnecessary tension in it, when the shot breaks, you can have a tendency to kick it off to the left or you know, tension is just not a good thing. Makes sense. I've always struggled for years. I struggled with a weak uh, bow shoulder on the left. I've got two not-so-great shoulders now, but um, I would hang low, and it felt like the weight of the world was on my bow, and I could not get it. It was to the point where I was adding a yard or two. Right. I just does this way. I'm going to have to shoot. And uh, really f I started working out and everything and, and getting in a little bit better shape, and, and, and I strengthened that shoulder a little bit, and then I – the second thing is I also learned about the front shoulder and the roles that it plays. And if that breaks down, um, it's like, that. <laughs> have you seen Tropic Thunder? Mm -hmm. Have you seen that quote? It was like, if he breaks down, we break down. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. Yep. It's like that. <laughs> exactly. Your shoulder is that guy. It is that guy. <laughs> and uh, that, that front shoulder, gosh, you know, that is a killer mm -hmm. for a lot of guys out there. And uh, I struggle, and I still struggle with the front shoulder today because now not only am I aware of it, but in my shot process, I've naturally come up high with my shoulder now because I shot like that for years. Right. So if you watch me shoot long enough, you'll see on some shots I'm I'm either going to let down or I'll just lower that and then consciously lower that shoulder down. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of changing shit during your shot process. So this thing's probably just a letdown and restart. But um, if I don't have that time or if I feel like I can get through my shot process, I will physically, you'll see me lower that front shoulder down. That'll pull the bow a little bit forward, mm -hmm. and then I can execute my shot. You know, I'm not sure if it's a let-off deal mm -hmm. because, you know, we're getting higher and higher let-offs. Yeah. Now where you can get 90% let-off in some bows. Where when you're relaxing all that tension, mm -hmm. if, if you're wanting to come up with this, because now you're not holding the bow up anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I don't know if it's a let off deal or not, but it goes through my head sometimes. It, it very well could be. And I know mine is just that's what, without knowing any better when in the beginning, I just, that's how I shot. And then I wouldn't stop shooting. That's right. another thing. I believe you can shoot too many arrows oh, sure. and I, and I've done that and I, after both my shoulders up in the process of doing that and overtraining is, is, is a real thing. I, I honestly do believe that with a bow anyways. Um, what are some signs that you have a weak front shoulder and that maybe you should start working on it outside of what we just talked about? Usually just hold and blow the target, you know, it's, and you'll feel it mm -hmm. eventually if you shoot enough arrows that way where, you know, your body's telling you that something ain't right. Right. One thing that I, I know in my own personal experience is when my front shoulder starts going, it's like we break down kind of thing. <laughs> then my shot execution obviously is going to break down because I'm hanging below the target. But another thing is, is I will keep pulling with back tension with my shoulder. I'll start bringing my elbow around and then my front shoulder will start creeping in towards my neck and that bow will not go off. Right. It right. will not go off. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. Yeah, like, go off. Why aren't you going off? And then pretty soon I'm like, my shoulder's almost up by my freaking chin. You know, it's like, okay, okay, okay. Start down. Over. Yes. <laughs> or just quit shooting. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, because so, the more gassed you are, the easier it exactly, is to get that Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so I guess some things that I would go over is collapsing on the shot. Mm -hmm. Would you expand on collapsing on the shot? Because for me, that is 
if you were watching that, you would probably see that that's part of collapsing on a shot is your shoulders are coming together, but they're coming together on the on the front side, not on the back side. To me, collapsing on the shot means more like you've just gave up on it, where mm. you've been aiming so long and you're you think you're pulling correctly, mm-hmm. but maybe you're pulling straight through rather than rotating. Uh-huh. And so, like when you shoot a dip bang, you know it's going, it's sitting <laughs> in the middle, and then all of a sudden it starts bobbing out the bottom. Uh huh. But you're still pulling because you're still trying to execute a good shot. Well. <laughs> It's going to go off usually when it's below what you're aiming at. Uh huh. And so to me, that's a collapse. Okay. It's okay. a mental collapse. Okay. Because you gave up on the shot, but you're thinking, man, why hasn't it went off by now? And bit, bit, boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's low. Okay. So that for you is collapsing on the shot. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I'm describing here is, is it looks like, okay, so you know those really old folks that their shoulders start getting sucked oh, yeah. in, their head moves down towards where their throat should be kind right. of thing. Right. That to me is kind of looks like it's collapsing on. I see I see it quite a bit um, where guys are just kind of going like this, and then they're just pulling and pulling and pulling, and then that head gets lower and lower. And um, I guess that could be contributed to draw as well. But I, I see that where they, maybe in their front, and then they're about to get taken off the back wall. Right. And to me, that um, I always thought that was collapsing on the shot, but um, I. Thanks. Potato, potato. I, yeah, very well. I mean, we're, we're pretty much describing <laughs> the same thing, the same problem here. Right. Um, but you, I'll start seeing them getting pulled off the wall. I'll start seeing that, that shoulder get – basically, they'll come together kind of like they're becoming a taco. Right. And, and uh, shit's breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for guys that maybe are collapsing on the shot um, – is there a way to fix that? I imagine jaw length and then maybe working on that front shoulder. Probably, you know, we could all probably use more exercise, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the better shape you're in, the easier it is to maintain good posture and execute a good shot. Or maybe your shot process is just taking too long. Hmm. Maybe you're just or over-aiming. That's mm-hmm. another good one where you're just trying to force right. the pin to get where you want it to be, and so it takes forever to for you to go through your shot. Right, right. Well, I know when I my front shoulder starts um, getting weak on me, um, I'll hang low and then I'll shoot high. <laughs> you know, not you know exactly what I'm talking about because <laughs> it's like it's like you're talking about that pin's just dipping six o'clock, six o'clock, six o'clock, and then as soon as it gets down low, your body's anticipating. I don't. I think it's archery. Yep. And <laughs> like you said, archery happens. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Archery happened, and then. Uh, as soon as that comes down, your body reacts and it pulls up, and you go off, mm-hmm. and then you're pushing that arrow high out of there. Um, and you're that's, probably pulling your anchor off your face. Yeah, that's Damn. target panic and and a bunch of other shit happening there. Um, for me, I'm just kind of picking my own self apart. For me, that happens when I shoot too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what's another thing that you would see out there? Um, I guess elbow placement on on the anchoring arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that one quite a bit guys aren't coming straight back kind of thing or they're not wrapping it around do you see that much kind of the chicken wing uh occasionally but from what i've learned from you know helping t out uh-huh. is she's short from her elbow to her grip position really so she cannot be behind her head mm. she's chicken winged all the time really so it's just I told her i said that's something you absolutely have to focus on every time is maintaining a good anchor and not moving your release hand mm-hmm. because 
with that body shape, you're going to be more susceptible to pulling off your face. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So how does she execute a shot with, with that then? I, uh, mean, I believe at this point she's just getting her pinky and index finger wrapped around or ring finger wrapped around it mm-hmm. and just slowly squeezing that back. Interesting. So when I started using, and, and for a lot of guys are starting to use these handheld releases, mm-hmm. and, and so we're talking mainly about handheld releases today. Back when I started using my hinge, I was I was just trying to figure it out. You know, there's so many the hard thing about a hinge is figuring out what lane you're in. Right. For me, I tried doing all sorts of different shit because I, I don't care. I'm learning how to use it. <laughs> so I'm I'm pulling with my back, pulling with my you know, my shoulder, pulling with my elbow, relaxing my hand. I'm trying all sorts of different shit. Um, getting it to go off with my wrist, changing the the where um I guess length of hold. So I'm changing where the release is on my fingers, mm-hmm. changing wrist position as far as angle. I'm trying all sorts of shit. And mainly, um, I was struggling with length, um, draw length change. Cause when I'm relaxing my hand, that release is going farther towards the front of my face. Right. Um, is that for, to me, that seems like a common issue from the guys that I've, I've seen shoot They're They're, they're struggling. And I think when they're saying they're struggling with their, with their anchor, it's because that that peep is getting pulled away from their face during their shot. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that a guy can do to fix that? It almost sounds like in that situation where your hand's getting longer to the point where you can notice it before it goes right. On, yeah, there might be just a little bit of a hand position issue uh-huh. because it should almost be imperceptible. Really, if you're doing a relax release yeah. technique. Yeah. You really, I mean, you should feel your hand getting longer, but it shouldn't be like, holy shit, it's a quarter inch longer now, and I'm yeah. already halfway through the valley. It's going to go any time now. Yeah. I don't feel like that's, I just feel like maybe you're also giving it up with your elbow maybe a little bit at the Possible. same time. Possible. Or if you maintain your good back tension and you're holding solid and you just relax a little bit, it should yeah. be gone. That's, a, that's the one thing that... um we could build off of right there is is relaxing on the shot because i see um del Colo pointed it out to me when i was in one of the shoot offs this year he's like dude relax mm-hmm. relax your hand what are you doing like and i felt like i was relaxed but he's like your hand is like white mm-hmm. like and you watch to see the veins in your forearm yeah. standing out yeah and, and uh, i you know these are things that i don't you know people point out something i'm doing wrong i don't give a shit unless you're wrong about it and then I'll just brush it off. But, right. I mean, the guys that, that really know, like you, DiCallo, John, um, when you guys point something out, and I'm not a snob. If I don't know you and you point something out, I'm going to take a look at it. <laughs> but I'm not going to take it as seriously as if you or Carl, right, or you or, or Del Calo, Carl, or John, or somebody, you know, somebody that I know. Right. Um, but, you know, when he pointed that out, I'm like, God, I didn't even know I was doing that. And a lot of these these things that we're pointing out are probably subconscious, like I'm oh, it's, going back to And it's totally mental because you're trying as hard as <laughs> possible to do this. Right. And so you're just right. into it 140%. And well, you already got right what I changed on when I was uh, noticing how far forward the release was going was wrapping that elbow more around my head, getting the elbow to kind of get the angle um, of the hinge to go off. Um, and then also relaxing. Mm-hmm. So those were the two things that fixed that. And so I'm just going over things that I know that I've struggled with that I've been getting messages on. Right. Um, right. Trying, trying to get 
knock him out. I, I don't care. People know, you know, the stupid things I've done. So we've all done stupid. Yeah. Shit. You got to learn somehow. <laughs> you do. You do. Um, so what would be another thing that you have seen? Um, and I know we're getting into an hour here, but and there's a lot of things I could talk about, but, um, <laughs> What would be something else that you see on the range that happens quite a bit, um, if anything? Man, there's not a whole lot. Of course, you know, we run with totally different people. And <laughs> right. the, I guess the window of experience you see out there is from brand new people, which is awesome, to world champions. And everybody's just out there to have fun and shoot arrows. But it's... <laughs> right drastically different between some people's well not everybody's built the same no nope. you that's, know that's the hardest part to deal with in archery i feel like is no two body shapes are identical so you got to find the variables that will work and so for i guess to echo off that i mean if you have um you know the cam haynes who the thumbs behind the neck mm-hmm. you know i mean and and i'm guessing that's probably just from trying to get uh, longer draw lengths back when bows didn't have speeds hardly at all. And, and it know. was a good anchor for a wrist strap. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is a very solid anchor. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Um, and you can get a little bit more on your draw when oh, you do sure. that, you know. And, and so, but is that proper by anybody's means? I mean, probably not. I mean, he shoots what better than the average guy, way better than the average guy. I've, I've sh- seen him shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know, these some of these archery snobs are like, yeah, you know, what's he doing? You know, kind of thing. But I'm like, well, he's probably going to outshoot 90% of the people you know. So is he wrong? No. No. I don't feel like there's anything wrong about how people shoot arrows. Mm-hmm. If you can find how you can do it consistently every time. Yeah. And I like using him as an example because he's well known. Right. He's in his own lane. And I see a lot of other guys that have that new to archery um i've got some buddies who um who don't really shoot anymore but when they were shooting they were definitely uh i think rj was one good friend of mine he would shoot with that thumb behind his neck mm-hmm. I'm like where'd you learn that and uh obviously it was cameron haynes and everything and, I'm, and cool good man if that works for you and i've tried the thumb behind the neck after seeing cameron do it back when I, a long time ago and i liked it when i tried it um i i eventually i stuck to what i knew mm-hmm. but i didn't find any really any actually legitimately concerns with it or any problems with it negatives to it no no not really um and so i guess where i'm going with this is is and you hear me saying this all the time is find your lane Mm -hmm. inside the track of the foundations and you know follow it if it works for you why why do something that works for levi morgan if that's not going to work for you absolutely right um so outside of that um with with the shooter's positions um or or the shot process and everything um, I was really wanting to pick your brain on that because from a target archer, you're more in-depth about it than I am, um, and especially on the bow-tuning aspect of it. Um, is there anything with the uh, with the arrow setups that you see guys maybe getting wrong um, or anything there before we wrap this thing up? Um, no, just most guys are going to shoot a pretty normal spine arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the guys I know are shooting anywhere from 55 to 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see 380s to 420s in that spine range, and that's pretty much what it is. Makes sense. And then uh, one more question for you, because I was I was doing a review of the Reckoning, and I'll probably do it today while we're at the shop, mm-hmm. is I'll, I'll actually record it. 
I was kind of fascinated that they're calling that a crossover bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can totally see how it is a crossover bow because it's. I, I haven't figured out whether I like it or whether it's ugly yet. <laughs> I'm kind of in between because when I look at it, I'm like, that's different. It's kind of cool. But I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, that bitch is ugly. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Like, I don't know about that bow yet. But the uh, the technologies that's in it, I, I'm actually pretty pretty excited to do this review because I think for a guy that doesn't have a press, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's they're making it easier for a guy to do it himself. Sure. And I, I'm a big fan of that. So the uh, cam lock technology, I think that's cool shit. Right. Uh, but going back to that, where I was going with the whole bow, um, the let off is about between, you know, between performance and comfort, it's about 80 to 82% let off, they're saying. But if it's a crossover bow, target archers, uh, in my experience, very limited experience, I don't target archery, you do, is the guys like a lower let off. Correct. So they're calling it a crossover bow, but they're, then they're keeping guys at that 80, 80% let off. Well, there's a lot more of them that's getting to be about 75. In fact, my TRX 38s are available with an 80% let off. Are mod. they really? But I stay on the 70% side because I can just I know if I shoot a high let off bow, I get very lazy in the shot because mm-hmm. I don't have to work to hold the bow back. And then that just that spirals. Yeah. I've yeah. heard that it's... Uh, lower let off allows you to hold steadier. Is that true? Is that um, mm, well? I guess the flip side of that is you can put more weight on your stabilizers because you're holding mo- more bow back with your release hand, mm-hmm. and it makes it easier to stabilize. But at the same time, you know, higher let off. It's to me easier to move the bow around yeah to me it would tire me out quicker mm-hmm. which is okay because you'll build up durance but at the same time um i tend to pull hard against the back walls anyways because i've shot pretty aggressive bows quite often right um and so i will actually steer myself off the target uh, can you talk about steering yourself off the target oh man i'm not a big puller I tend to just try to stay relaxed and kind of push the bow where I want it to go. Mm-hmm. If you're steering off the target, it's got to be tension. Yeah, it's got to be. Because I know when I'm uh, steering myself off the target back, like when I was shooting the RX-1, it was a turbo. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most um, the most shootable turbo they've came out with yet. It was not very, you know, had a good valley. Still was more aggressive than other bows, but wouldn't pull me off the back wall like a spider turbo would. Right, right. Uh, but where I'm going with that is this is something that it would be hard to see if somebody was doing something wrong. So I'll just tell you know people what I've struggled with here is is steering the bow. Um, it basically, you're pulling so hard against the back wall that you're going to start pulling yourself off. And typically, when I notice myself doing it, I'm pulling myself off from left to right at about a three to four o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of just pulling myself off like that. And I, you know, I, it's really hard for me to identify because I'm not behind the peep. I'm not, you know, the one sure. shooting it, but, um, I've always, always wondered because when I shoot those more aggressive bows, um, with a lower let off to me, I struggle more. Absolutely. And so, um, I guess I was just wondering, you know, why target archers like that 60, it used to be 65%, right? Yeah. And then a lot of guys that even put bigger cables in it to get more let off. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, 
these are all things that I've I've personally wondered, and, and having someone like you that I could pick your brains, like why do they do that shit? Right. Yuck. <laughs> I remember when I asked John Rains, I'm like, why do you guys use those stupid long re- retarded stabilizers? <laughs> it looks so stupid. And he's like, <sighs> yeah, right. <laughs> if Gary, if they didn't, or if if they didn't help, you think pros wouldn't be using them? Absolutely I was not. Like, you got a good point there, John. <laughs> I retract my statement. <laughs> uh, and so there's always a reason that if you see something, there's probably a reason for it. And having a guy that's that's in the, you know in the fight actually doing a shooting competition, it's always nice to be like, okay, why are they doing this? Right. And so one more question that we talked, I think before we were actually recording, is um, with with bow sights. You um, and I may be off base here because I'm not around it like you are, but it seemed like. A few years ago, they were the the dovetails were so far mm-hmm. from the compounds, and now you start. I'm starting to see more and more, in in archery pictures and videos that I'm seeing, where they're sucking in those dovetails, even though they used to be way far out. Now they seem like they're getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Am I wrong? Uh, no, no. There's still a lot of guys running them full length, but some of them are running them half and. Just uh, why is the trend seem for me, and, and maybe it's not even a trend. It's just something I've been noticing that's not actually true. Is why does it seem like there's a trend that where they're sucking those in towards the riser? Because for me, it would be pin uh, pin float would be less or less noticeable or less, um, I guess ecstatic. It'd be more shaky out there. It'd be like shooting on nine power right. if you're if if your dovetails all the way out. To me, my thought would be, and I've been sucking my dovetails in, is it's just easier to execute a shot because that pin isn't um, as sporadic mm-hmm. out there. Could I mean elaborate on that for me? I guess about the only thing that to me really I ever used the dug. Let's start over on that. About the only thing I ever used the dovetail for is to get my scope housing to be inside my peep. And to be able to center it up. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. I'll run it all the way out if I have to or halfway or. What about, um, the? okay, so explain pin gap on that and then also arrow clearance. Uh, pin gap, arrow clearance. So pin gap, the closer you get the scope to the bow, which bringing it back in on the dovetail, uh-huh. will let you shoot farther because it's shrinking in the pin gap. Mm-hmm. So like I know a couple people that will shoot with it in the extended position until they have to shoot 100 yards or whatever, then they got to pull it back in and be able to shoot that far while aiming. Okay. Um, otherwise, you get into an arrow clearance situation where the scope's too low and the arrow is going to not be very friendly to your scope housing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if I want to shoot um, farther out on the dovetail, what would be um, – is there any benefit outside of alignment uh, for your housing? You know, they say that the farther apart your two aiming at pieces are, it makes it a little more accurate, like old long barrel yeah. muskets and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. mm, teach their own. Okay. Yeah. Your road. So you could shoot longer range if you suck that thing in. Absolutely. So when you do that, would you have to, you would, would it just be to suck it in for that long shot? Cause you're, Pin gaps would change, right? Um, so you just can't change willy nilly. No, no, you'd have you to have know. It set for this is what this is for, and this yeah. is what this is for, and I would so, write it down. Yeah. So basically, when my my things fully extended and I'm dialed to sixty, uh, sucked in, maybe that sixty turns into an eighty, or ninety, or or ninety or hundred, and you'd have to know ahead of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. 
If you if you look at my cheat sheet on my on the side of my housing, I got a little cheat sheet there. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, any more words of wisdom from Carl? Uh, <laughs> you know, if I had to tell anybody to do anything, write your shot sequence down. Have it just dialed, and don't be afraid to look back over it once in a while if something's going astray. Yeah. Well, so run through uh, your shot sequence for me before we wrap this thing up here. Um, let's see. Feet position, alignment to the target. You know, relax, take a good breath, load an arrow, clip my release on the D-loop, find my hand position, draw the bow, anchor, relax, and focus. Mm. And then I just, my shot thought is finish the shot. So that just keeps me pulling and focusing on the middle. Really? Mm-hmm. So mine's pretty similar to that. Um, to finish this thing up, I'll wrap up my shot sequences is stance. Um, I focus on my front foot, making sure that it's far enough out that, um, cause I, I used to stand, I, I used to have my weight on my, all my weight on my back foot. And so now I'm just making sure that I'm evenly flat, um, even if evenly footed and everything feels really stable. Um, I make sure that I'm kind of an open stance. So both my feet aren't pointed perpendicular. They're point, they're kind of just kind of an open stance. Mm-hmm. Like the toe is, um, and then I put the, basically the bow on my leg a lot of times i'll what you call preloading i'll preload my grip um i really really focus and use my breathing throughout the shot so i take a big deep breath in kind of like i'm lifting weights you know and you exhale on the thing so i take a really big deep breath in and then as if i'm lifting um, when i draw my bow i'm breathing out slightly slowly controlled and then on that same breath I'll let the rest of it out right when I start looking and aiming and aligning and aligning. And then I'll take another deep breath in and then I'm exhaling really slowly out during my shot process. Cause when I, when I found me personally, when I struggle, um, if I reach the end of my breath and then I'm breathing back in my shot sucks, right? Sucks. Like that transition for your breathing out to back in, that just changes the way your body's re- like it just changes your chest yep. and that just ch- it changes everything for me so i always focus on my on my breath and i'm always breathing out when i shoot if i'm not breathing out when i shoot i'm not shooting mm. i mean it's that big of a deal for me i can't do it <laughs> i don't know why um some guy do you focus on your breathing like or not really but really? i think i'm a breath holder really yep i think oh. i just breathe in come to anchor and then hold it really until it's gone <laughs> yeah. I'm always breathing. If I don't get that shot, doesn't go off. Um, if the shot doesn't go off and, and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, I should let down. But if I don't let down, I'll breathe in really deep, really quickly, and then I'll breathe back in. I never shoot on the uh, on the inhale. Huh. I just can't do that's it. That's good stuff. Yeah, never done that. I, I don't know if that's people in general. Right. Uh, and then from there, um, you know, it's 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 just executing a good shot. And I'm thinking through my head. I'm just thinking relax 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 it'll go it'll go and pump and then it goes off mm-hmm. and that's pretty much mine and my my thing is relax and then also um i've all i'm always shooting back tension i'm a polar um so i really don't have to work on that but i'm always worried on wrapping my elbow back and i'm trying to use my elbow to get the um hinge to really make it go off right because um, if i'm doing that i'm getting my back tension but um that's my shot process um i don't know if people can really 
most if you can't break yours down, do what Carl said. Write it down. I never thought about that. Yep. And actually using that. That's a really good tip. So uh, thanks for coming back onto the show, man. Thanks for having me. You and I are going to hit the range. Yep. yep. Um, so I'll probably get some critiquing and, and some, some learning from you there. I could probably use some self. Some <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're not learning throughout the process, you're, 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 you're not going forward, man. That's a fact. You know, I'm sure Levi Morgan's still learning. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but outside of that, um, if you ever want to come back on the show, you ever got anything, always happy to have you. And for you guys listening, um, if you want to follow, follow Carl, he's fun to follow because he's always shooting all the time. What's your Instagram handle? Oh, Instagram is uh, Carl the Archer. Carl the Archer. Any spaces in between or anything? I have, uh, I have to look. <laughs> um, where am I at? Carl underscore the underscore Archer. Carl underscore the. Okay, Carl underscore the underscore Archer, all lowercase. And uh, I enjoy following you, man. Uh, you know, seeing you shoot your 300 a couple years ago at Vegas was pretty freaking sweet. And I did it again this year. Yeah. Yeah, talked, yeah. But that, was, that was the easiest one I've ever shot. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, there's many more of them in my near future. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I'm sure there are. And, and uh, you shot a 1501 this year at Reading, which yeah. I would be. I know you're not happy with that. I would be freaking lit if I did that. Everybody would know. The weird part is <laughs> the very first year I shot freestyle, I shot a 1502. Uh-huh. And so I was like, wow, this game's easy. Uh-huh. Well, those are famous last words when you start thinking that way. Because then after that, I shot a 14, like 69. <laughs> oh, it was a wreck. And then I shot a 1489 last year. Huh. And then, or no, four years ago, I shot a 1510, which is my best. Mm-hmm. And then I know one this year. Well, you know, learn and grow, and, and uh, I think we'll be in the shoot-offs here in the next couple of years. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Yeah. So, all right, brother, well, let's go ahead and shoot to the range, and I uh, appreciate you coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Gary. All right, see you, dude. Yep.